I'm Austin. I'm Mike. We are the test drivers. And we put tech through its paces. And oh boy, did Timmy Cook break into Apple HQ to deliver us one packed announcement. I have a question for you. Go for it. Are they purposefully making memeable moments in the presentations now? Oh, absolutely. There's no way they do that on accident. Because it started with Federighi doing the laptop thing, right? And then this time (laughs) it's Tim Cook doing his little wiggle dance. (laughs) I think they're making memes. Or like, and and they did, I can't remember which one it was, but when Craig Federighi was like running around, you know, there's a lot of Mm. memes of him like just running from place to place. I think I think they're making memes now. Look, man, you gotta stay hip with the kids. You gotta um, you gotta have that drip. You gotta. Uh, oh, is that a thing? Uh, yeah, I don't know. The kids say it. I, I'm trying to be cool. You know how it yeah, is. Yeah, I try and stay away from that as much as possible because most of the time I don't understand them <laughs> and I figure I'm going to use them wrong, and then it's just, you see straight through it. There is just something kind of funny about these like all fifty to sixty year old gray haired white men. And like they're making their <laughs> meme moments. I don't know, man. There's just something about that which is funny to me. So in our last episode, we were talking about the potential for events and the fact that WWDC was going virtual and stuff like that. And we made reference to Google I.O. And I think it was an hour after we recorded, Google announced that I.O. is happening this year and it's going to be virtual. They're doing two days, which doesn't seem like a lot. It's May 18th to 20th. I mean, I, this is not. I'm not throwing shade, but like Google I/O has has seemed always like less of an affair than WWDC yeah. anyway. Um, like I don't think Google need to or have ever felt the desire to make it such a big deal as WWDC has been um, in yeah. previous years. I don't think they've done a week right because WWDC is always like a five day deal anyway, and I don't I don't remember Google I/O being that long typically so i've actually only attended one google io in person i think it was 2019 2018 something like that and yeah it was interesting i to be fair was there for like literally three hours like i showed up Mm -hmm. for the keynote and immediately got on a plane and left oh i just did a couple of google searches it's always two days oh yeah they don't make such a big deal out of it as, as apple tends to it does kind of make sense, though, because if you look at, like, Google, like, I mean, it's not like, obviously, they're going to announce the new version of Android, but, like, they're on, like, beta 3 that's already public right now, right? I mean, it's, like, a lot of the stuff, sure, they will have announcements at I.O., and there's certainly, it's a big stage for Google to bring out whatever Chromecast, Chromebook, Yeah, they, they use it as their the world is watching um, mm. type of presentation, don't they, really? Yeah, but... To, to me, it always just feels like it's not quite to the same degree as WWDC, just because Apple obviously are not pre-announcing anything, right? It's all built up for that moment. Mm-hmm. Whereas we see, at least for the like the meaningful, you know, like software updates and stuff, a lot of times we see a good chunk of it well before the actual I/O event. So it kind of yeah. it deflates it a little bit, which is fine. Which is fine, but it also it doesn't quite have that same gravitas. Yeah, because now, as you say, Google use it to like they'll show off things that developers can't use it all right like they showed off that call screening thing or whatever io or they'll show off like things coming to google or things coming to chromecast these are not developer announcements where wwdc by and large is developer focused announcements and they'll do the occasional hardware announcement too which i think they will do this year but even then apple seemed pretty reserved with wwdc mostly for even the hardware is for that audience 
you know, mm-hmm. like they show yeah. off their pro hardware, which is for that developer audience. Um, and I think it's just because, you know, Apple's in a different position as we've just seen. We're going to talk about the Apple event, the spring event in a bit. They can just command the world's attention at any point where yeah. Google is trying, you know, they have their hardware events, but they're not yet as big a deal um, as Apple's events are. Yeah, which is fair, right? I mean, I think you look at the size of Apple as like, I mean, look, they've had, what, 20 years plus to really perfect the art of the keynote and to really kind of drum up that sort of drama. I'll say a little thing, though, about the spring event. I know we're going to talk a lot about it later in the show. They pushed this event a lot harder. Like, I was seeing ads yep. for it on TikTok, I uh, saw on ads Twitch. Too. Yeah, yeah, they were really pushing it, which is nice. I think it's they have been scaling this stuff up. I, I don't know if this event they pushed more in the sense of like from the last event. I think what we're seeing is a slow creep to them making these more and more of a deal, right? Like, because yeah. they've been doing stuff like now it's on YouTube, now they have the Twitter hash flag thing, you know? But yeah, I agree. Mm. I was getting ads. I don't usually get ads for Apple events. Yeah, but it, I mean, if you think about it, right, before Apple events were really meant for media and hardcore Apple fans, but it's really kind of gone beyond that to the point where even an average like consumer is like, oh, some new Apple stuff announced. Yeah, sure, I'll watch that. And you're just yep. basically, if you're a regular consumer, you're sitting down and watching an hour-long Apple ad, right? So mm-hmm. from that perspective, it makes sense, especially when they're putting so much time and energy into these, pre- uh, these keynotes. And because they're pre-shooting them, you know that there's not going to be some, you know, Tim Cook yelling at people to turn off the Wi-Fi on stage kind of moment that's going to be embarrassing. So it kind of makes sense in a lot of ways for them to start pushing it more. And I'll be curious to see if Google starts to take a little bit more of that approach. It's not like, oh, this is our big event this year and it's just for developers, but we really actually want regular consumers to to engage with it and essentially watch a hour-long Google ad instead. Yeah, I'm interested to see what Google do because they haven't done any of these, right? Because they they cancelled I/O completely. They were just it was just wrong timing for them. They were just a little bit too early. So they, all they could really do was just not do anything. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't recall when they released the Pixel phones. Did they have an event? So they do typically have an event yeah. later in the year for Pixel phones. But I don't remember them doing one for last year's phones. Oh, I don't, I don't remember. I think they had a little virtual event. I seem to recall they announced like, that was when they announced like Chromecast and whatnot. Right. I feel like I should remember this because it was like six months ago. We definitely talked about it on the show. But uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> I feel like they, they did like some kind of virtual event, which was kind of okay, but was not amazing. I think that's where they announced Pixels. I've just found it. They did a half hour hardware event video. Yes. Okay. And it was all shot like a sitcom. And it was kind of, Weird oh, yeah, and... this was one where I couldn't watch it live and then yeah. saw the reaction to it and then just decided to watch everybody's like um, embargoed videos instead. <laughs> it's like, I, th- <laughs> I figure I'm going to get more out of it by just, just paying attention to what people say afterwards. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see. I, as always, look forward to IO. And I think like you were saying earlier, it's interesting to see they always have some weird stuff that you don't expect, whether it's the call screening thing or some weird like moonshot thing that they like sort of trot out and, and promote. So I'm always down for IO, and I'm very happy that it is actually really happening again this year. And super curious to see in what form they're going to have the the thing. I, I assume it's going to be a little bit more straight-faced than the uh, sitcom city thing from last year. Yeah, or and maybe not 
to the level because nobody's doing them like Apple's doing them. You know, and I saw of somebody course. say this like, oh, how did I manage to put these incredible uh, events together? And my friend Federico just said to me, like, I think he just sent me a screenshot of Apple's last earnings report. <laughs> As the, and it's like, yeah, you know, what? That's, that is how Apple managed to do it because they can just throw whatever resources they want at it in a way that other companies wouldn't. I think, mm-hmm. but like Apple just can. This is, and it, and it feeds into itself, right? Because these are such good advertisements for them, again, in ways that maybe other companies don't have. And it becomes this kind of chicken and egg like thing where they can put all the money into it because it does such a great job for them. So, because it does such a great job for them, they can keep pouring more money into them. I really wonder what's going to happen post pandemic for their events. Oh, they're not going back. There's no way they're going back. They might have like, some live events from time yeah. to time, but even those live events, I think, are going to be like 70% like, you know, Tim will walk out on stage, say something, walk in the back, and they'll play a five-minute video. Like, there's no way yeah. that this is so polished now. I don't think they need to care so much about the audience, right? Yeah. Like, that, that they should, everything should be live. What they should be caring about is the viewing audience. I could imagine WWDC being more stagey in the future mm-hmm. just because the developers are there, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. Maybe for the September event, they'll bring people in. You know, like you know, you'll you'll get invited, you'll go there, but it's not. It's very likely to be not just hey, now everyone's going to come out on stage and talk to you. It might be a bit more like we have these videos, and you're yeah. only there because they want you to have a hands-on afterwards. Exactly, exactly. So it'll be really interesting to see. So Microsoft had uh, some hardware come out, and one of the key things they had was the Surface Laptop 4. And I just found this intriguing because they have options between Intel and AMD for their laptops. Yeah. What do you think of this? So last year, the Surface Laptop 3 did have an Intel and AMD version, but they were very segmented, right? Where the AMD was pretty much, I believe, only in the 15-inch, and Intel was only in the 13, except there was some weird, like, uh, enterprise version that broke the rules. But essentially, it was very much kind of split. If you wanted the big one, AMD, small one, Intel. This time around, they're still doing that sort of quasi-custom, like, AMD, Surface Edition, blah, blah, blah. It's essentially, it's Ryzen 4000, which is an upgrade from last year, but it's not Ryzen 5000, which has been out for, what, two or three months now? So immediately it kind of seems odd. Like, why didn't they just go all the way forward? But then you look at the price tags. So now that you can actually spec out, you know, it doesn't matter which size, you can get Intel and AMD versions in both. The AMD version is $300 less than the Intel version. Now that's not, to be fair, a complete apples to apples comparison because I believe the AMD model has, uh, the base model has 256 gigs of RAM, or not, excuse me, 256 gigs of storage, that would be impressive. Whereas the Intel has 512 gigs, so it's not quite apples to apples. But the difference is is that it is using the most recent 11th gen Intel processors and you're using a one generation behind AMD chip. So it's it's interesting. Now, at this point, I actually do have a 15-inch Surface Laptop 4 with AMD in the office. I have actually not spent a lot of time with it, so I don't want to give a full review or anything like that. But at first glance, it's solid. And it's easy to forget that Ryzen 4000 is still an incredibly solid laptop chip. I saw the Day 2D video about it, and I was intrigued by two things. One, I don't like the design. Like, Mm. I don't... What I didn't like about it, so most of the video, you could see the back of the laptop, and they're like these big gaps 
in it, you know? Like, yeah. And, and it's just like, you know, from, from my experience with my Razer laptop and with Apple laptops, you know, when it's closed, it's completely closed, you know, like the whole way around. And just like the way that they build it, I'm being picky, but like the way that they build it, when you have things closed, there, you know, there's like these, it doesn't completely line up on the back of the laptop and stuff. And I just, I don't know. I find that weird. Uh, also, I, it's intriguing to me how good a job they've done with the battery life. Yes. Especially considering it's, again, it's not the most recent AMD processors, which mm-hmm. to be fair, I don't know if it would make that big of a difference on the battery side. But yeah, no, they've made a big step forward. Uh, I saw the same day video and I, I think he was getting something like 12 hours or mm-hmm. something of battery mm-hmm. life, which is not too far off of what he was able to get from an M1 MacBook Pro, which is very impressive. Yeah. Also, like, I always like the Surface hardware. Like, the 3 by 2 display, it always, every time I sit down, it's like, oh, wow, this feels different. It feels so much taller. It feels really nice, especially in the 15-inch version. I mean, it's, it's a very large display. And on top of that, the keyboards are good. Trackpads are good. If you get the Alcantara wrist rest, I know initially I was really concerned about that when they first started bringing these things out. And yes, it will certainly get a little dirtier and it won't be quite as durable as something like aluminum. But that being said, it's a really nice, comfy typing experience. And the performance is good. Obviously, as a Surface uh, uh, device, it's not really loaded with bloatware. It's a nice and clean sort of Windows install. Touchscreen is there. I mean, there's a lot going for these things. And I really do think, yes, the Intel processors have slightly better graphics. And it's uh, okay on the CPU side, although it's still a quad-core versus eight-core on the cheaper AMD models. But really, to me, when you're looking at the price difference, those AMD chips are very close in many ways, better in the multi-core CPU, and significantly cheaper. So even though it's a generation behind, it's still a really solid option. And that's crazy to me that a cheaper, older AMD chip is still better in most cases than the brand new Intel counterpart. That's just such a bizarro world statement to me. Wish they could have got the new ones in it, though. That would have been even better. Yeah. You know, you know what though? If they were charging like the full price, like to to match Intel, I actually would take the last gen. Like the new ones are a little bit better. Right. They're not two or three hundred dollars better though. I actually Fair don't enough. think it's a crazy decision for them because another thing that they've done with these new Surface laptops is they've bumped up the base configurations to be reasonable. So it's now it's eight gigs of RAM and two hundred fifty six gigs of storage is standard. Hmm. Before I believe they were shipping a, don't quote me on this, but I think they shipped a one twenty eight gig as the base model, which is just yeah, obviously... No, good, because Microsoft's base model products never seem to be very competitive. Mm-hmm. So I'm actually pleased to hear that they've they've done something there to, to try... Like, if you're buying the cheapest, uh, you're actually going to get something that will be usable for a decent period of time. And they've really tried to line up a lot of the prices and the upgrades fairly similarly to oh. MacBooks as well. So it yeah. actually seems to be across the board a really solid device. Again... I haven't spent much time with it yet. I've just got it in. So I do want to spend a little bit more time. But my first impressions of it have been very positive. And it does seem like there's a lot of buzz in the tech space about like, oh, this is the next best thing to an M1 Mac, which obviously it's a little bit of a gulf there in some ways. But they've done a very good job designing these things. I wish it had a slightly larger port variety, especially it still bothers me that the 15-inch, even though it's so much larger, gives you literally nothing besides bigger screen, right? You don't get better battery life. You don't get more ports. Mm. You don't get anything. It's just a bigger screen. So, uh, yeah, I wish they would be a little bit more sort of forward with that. But other than that, I mean, it it seems like a very, very solid device. And uh, uh, Samsung is promoting their, quote, most powerful Galaxy device coming on April 28th. It's not going to be a Z Z Flip, surely, right? I've seen people saying that this is probably a laptop. 
Yeah, but come on, I can dream. Look, you can if dream. they're doing if they're doing a Galaxy keynote and we're in the the right uh -huh. realm, right? I mean, we're talking about a lot of rumors are putting a new Z Fold slash Z Flip in the next like month, maybe two months. Uh, maybe they'll tease it. Maybe they'll throw us a bone, Mike. You know, Is they gotta keep the Z Flip gang happy. Any reason you need a new Z Flip? Oh no, don't. Do we have to talk about this right now? <laughs> do, you, is there, do you need to get a, a third one for any particular reason, or are you just excited? Oh, I can't believe you're putting me on blast like this. Okay, <laughs> so, look. I, uh, of course, as uh, we're, we're the mayors of Z Flip gang town. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's the way we're supposed to phrase it. Um, look, I love my Z Flip. We and I'm still using it every day. Mm -hmm. But um, I'm having slight, very, very small issues. Uh, my hinge is getting a little loose. Not what, is, what does that mean? Is it just opening on its own? No, 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 no. Nowhere near that bad. Um, right. So I spend a lot of time with my Z Flip in like the little tabletop mode where it's kind of like at a 90 degree angle, especially when I'm watching YouTube and stuff. The hinge has gotten a little bit loose to the point where if I move the phone, like so like I've got it 90 degree in my hand right now. If I shake it back and forth, I feel the whole hinge. Like it sort of moves Ooh. a little bit backward and yeah, forward okay. with the weight of the display. Um it's fine. It opens easier now, and it's not enough that like <laughs> it's a it's it'll a benefit. Still, <laughs> it still will stop in pretty much any orientation I want, right? So it's not like it's broken or anything like that. But I've noticed over the last month or two, I feel like with any Z Flip, there's like a month break-in period or so where like the hinge is a little too stiff and then it kind of loosens up for the first little bit. But now that this Z Flip is, because I guess this is from August, so it's getting it's closer to a year old. I'm losing a little bit of that tension, and uh, I, I'm a little concerned that okay. if this continues, it might get a little too floppy. I, I'm just saying um, that it's a potential worry of mine. Not that there's a problem with my Z Flip, Michael. Not that there's a problem with my Z Flip. Can we start calling it the Z Flop? No! 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 Z Flop How dare gang. you? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh god no how could you it's fine it's fine i'm not worried i'm very excited for the samsung event where i'm sure they'll announce some laptop and maybe they'll give me a, a little crumb of a new z flip thing but it does seem like it does seem like we're still in that like a couple months away so z flip gang sit on your wallets put it in your back pocket sit down on it really hard because uh z flips are coming just uh maybe not quite yet this episode of The Test Drivers is brought to you by Gabby. When it comes to car and home insurance, so many people know they deserve better, so they're putting their policies to the test and turning to Gabby. Gabby actually stands for Get A Better Insurance. And getting better insurance with Gabby means finding a better price for the same insurance coverage. Who knew something like this even existed? They are the one true comparison platform with real rates. They give you an apples-to-apples -apples comparison of your current coverage with 40 of the top insurance providers like Progressive, Nationwide, and Travelers, all in one place. You can use your current insurance information to get started, and in just minutes, you'll be able to see quotes for the next exact same coverage you currently have. And get this, it's totally free to use. Austin, could you tell our listeners, the test drivers listeners, how easy it was to get these quotes with Gabby? It's super easy. It's one of the nice things about it is that that onboarding process to even just get that quote is so simple, especially you don't have to go and dig through and find your old insurance docs and look up the VIN number on your car or anything like that. They make it super seamless. You can just log right in. It'll pull the quotes. And in a matter of just a few minutes, you'll see exactly how much money you can save. 
Gabby customers can save $961 per year on average, and they're never going to sell your information, so you're not going to get those annoying spam or robocalls. Put your policy to the test like so many others. Get a better insurance with Gabby. It's totally free to check, and there's no obligation. Go to gabby.com slash testdrivers. That's gabby.com slash testdrivers, G-A-B-I dot com slash testdrivers. Our thanks to Gabby for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. So we had the Apple event. Uh, we got a couple of big products. Should we start talking about the iMac? Yes, the biggest. Tell me, right? So they're, they're like, here's the new iMac, and they start showing off the promotional video. Ooh. What was your instant reaction? <laughs> so, okay, I take the curtain back a little bit here. I had a little bit of skin in the game because we were sitting on Go ready to shoot a video, but we had already just talked about before the event we weren't going to make a video if they didn't have an iMac because we weren't going to do just an iPad video. So mm-hmm. when I saw iMac, I was like, yeah, we got a video, baby. Uh, <laughs> that being said, though, <laughs> the iMac, look, it looks very cool, right? A lot of it had been rumored, right? So a lot of people were talking about it, it would look like a big iPad. You know, we'd have a lot of colors, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't think I really quite wrapped my head around exactly how they were going to do this. There is so much attention detail with this iMac, right? I mean, we'll talk about it later. Like, there's the color matching everything. But, like, I appreciate a lot of it. But that Chen, I still... Uh, oh, really? Like, a, a few days later, it looks weird to me. With the white bezel, it's okay. The Chen, okay. The lack of an Apple logo, I think, after, you know, sort of sitting on it for a few days, that's what's bothering me. It looks so, like, unfinished, especially after all the years of looking at iMacs and having the Apple logo. At least... That Apple logo kind of helps to center it, in my opinion. Mm. It kind of just pulls the design together. And I know some people on Twitter have been, like, mocking up, like, you know, their dream iMac. And I've seen a couple people who've just put the Apple logo back and done very little else. And that immediately just makes me feel better, right? It's almost like one of those, like, psychological things where, like, you know, when something's missing, but you can't quite put your finger on it. That's what I feel when I look at the front of an iMac. See, I've been trying to get myself out of that thinking because I know, like like you, I'm so used to the Apple logo being there. There is that feeling of like, oh, it's not there and I expect it to be. So I've been trying to not think of it that way and just trust, trying to look at it and accepting it for what it is. And I love it. Like my initial reaction was just like my head nearly exploded because I could not believe <laughs> that they put the color in it to the level yeah. that they did. Right? Like yeah. I didn't, I wasn't confident they were going to do colors at all because I feel like I've been let down so many times thinking that they were going to put colors back into computing. And the saturation that's on the back of them is Ooh. unbelievably bright to me, like yeah. way more than I ever would have expected. You know, if they were going to do color, I figured they would do the like the really saturated color that's on the front and that's been on the iPads and the AirPods Max and stuff. So I'm just super pleased that, and like really pumped that they've that they've gone to the level that they've gone. I really like the two tone effect. To be honest, like I know that I'm seeing a lot of people saying they would like the saturation the whole way around. I would find that quite distracting. I think to for it to yeah. be so bright, like so like vivid, and. Um, Apple actually told me I haven't seen these yet I don't don't think you've seen them yet either no it's not white it's like it's light gray now I don't know what that is actually going to mean to look at it like Mm -hmm. would I look at it and still call it white like are they just calling it light gray but they said that they they are calling it light gray as the color uh, not white so my thinking there is 
it's for all intents and purposes, it's white, but they've toned it down. So it's not like screaming white at you, you know? And that's nice because I think, sure, there are old iMacs that were, you know, full blasting white in your face yep. with the bezels. The but white polycarbonate ones or whatever. Yeah. The thing is, though, I do think that there are like some tricks with your eyes when you're looking at a display. And if you see a white border, it does something with your color perception. Obviously, maybe not quite as important with an iMac, which is less likely to be used for like, you know, Photoshop or something that's really color accurate. But I do know that there's like some effect where like when you see mm. that white bezel, it kind of like ruins your sort of perspective. So if, if it's a little bit closer to gray instead of pure white, I do think that would be nice. Also, I just always find white uh, bezels just to be a little bit kind of like taxing on my eyes. I think about to like the old iPads and iPhones that had white bezels. Yeah. I never really liked that kind of look. I used yeah. to use the, my, my white 4S was like, I love that phone. But it was one of those things where like after a while of staring at the white, it just kind of got to me a little bit. But you're right. Neither of us have used it yet. I will reserve judgment on the white. I will say it looks pretty nice. I'm more concerned just with like kind of that usability perspective. But yeah. Apple's a company that happens to know a thing or two about design. So if they were able to put this together and people's eyes aren't bleeding after two hours of using the computer, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt until we actually get our hands on it and spend some time. Mike, I have a question for you. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're getting a new iMac, right? That's, that's up to you. But if you were going to buy one of these new yeah. iMacs, what color would you go for? Because this is a real debate I've had, but I think I have my answer now. Orange. Oh, orange too. Orange yeah. gang, let's orange, go. Orange, easy, easy. Like, it looks so good. It's my favorite, like, big time. I, you know, I like, you know, the, the, the purple's nice, the green's nice. I'm, I'm in on the orange. I'm not, I'm not buying one of these because, like, trust me, I want one big time, but it's just not the computer for me, right? Yeah, like, yeah. I have an M1 MacBook Pro, right? So I'm getting all of the power. Um, but what I'm looking for is whatever is next for the M1 is, is what I will want to replace my iMac that Pro that I'm talking to you on now. Because mm -hmm. so the M1, for what I do on my machine, gets shockingly close, right? And, <laughs> and some of the stuff that I do, the M1 performs better than my iPad or than my iMac Pro. So like when mm. I'm editing a podcast in Logic, which I do a lot, uh, if I'm like dragging around the audio files and the clips, it's way smoother on an M1 Mac than on my super powerful Intel iMac Pro even though the iMac Pro does a better job of exporting and rendering and all that kind of stuff. It's more powerful there. So, you know, I'm just waiting for whatever is next. So, like, this is this iMac is 24 inches, which I feel kind of sets it up to be like, this is the machine for everyone, right? I feel mm. like 24 inches, it doesn't feel like little computer anymore, like the 21-inch yeah. iMac did. My expectation now is... What we will see later this year, hopefully, is it will be the, the product will be called iMac Pro. Oh, you're calling it. You think it won't be like the 32 inch iMac? You think they'll straight go to the iMac Pro branding? Yeah, I heard, I think it was John Gruber say this. And as soon as he said it, it just clicked to me. It just mm. makes sense because, as well, like all of Apple's marketing and the messaging, they're just calling this iMac. Yeah. Yeah. In a way that makes sense to me that they will this the other one will be called iMac Pro. Because if they were gonna call the other one iMac, why would they not have it available now? Like why wouldn't it Fair. have not just been an M1 larger a larger machine of an M1 in it? 
And that's such a good point. It, you're right. If they were just going to call the bigger one like the 28 or the 32 or something, I think they would spend more time calling this iMac the 24 and making that a little bit more of a distinction. You know what? Okay, let's put our tinfoil hats on for a second. Yeah. Here. Oh, I love do, that. Do you think they discontinued the iMac Pro early so that there would be a little bit of a gap between when they bring out this new iMac? So just in case like the graphics aren't quite up to scratch or something like that, mm. that kind of gives a little bit of buffer there? Because I know that... As great as the M1 is, if I could sort of throw one gripe at it, it is the graphics aren't really up to. Yes, it's fine as like laptop GPUs, but they're really not. You can't push it to that next to level. Yeah, so I wonder. <laughs> so I mean, there have been a lot of rumors that I believe that Apple's working on their own graphics chips to to give them mm-hmm. that edge, like so they can push past what the system on a chip stuff can do, like the what would be quote unquote the integrated graphics, right? Even though technically right. they'll still they'll all be integrated if, if Apple's making it, but that's a different <laughs> conversation for another day. I think with the iMac Pro that they know that they were coming out with something later this year, and so there's a couple of things. the The iMac Pro doesn't really have a lot of benefit anymore over the 27 inch iMac. So mm-hmm. they updated the 27 inch iMac, I believe, last year, and really in performance it's basically can hit what the iMac Pro can hit. And also has some features the iMac Pro doesn't have and is at a more competitive price than the iMac Pro is. They never updated the iMac Pro. They They they, they released it. it once and never updated it. Which sucks because it was such a good system, right? Like, we have a couple of them. Like, our uh, edit team here still uses iMac Pros. Like, they were great yeah, machines. They were quiet. But the quiet. thing is, if you got the 27-inch iMac, the, the current 27-inch iMac, you'd be saying all the same stuff because that this machine is just as powerful. Right, right. So, you know, like, the iMac Pro came from a different time, right? The iMac mm-hmm. Pro came from a time when there was not going to be a Mac Pro. Right. God, you're right. Yeah, it was. So this machine was designed to be the professional Mac. And then they kind of got in a bit of hot water with the enthusiast crowd and decided to make a Mac Pro again. So they'd already done all this work on the iMac Pro. So they released the iMac Pro, but it never got updated because they abandoned the iMac Pro immediately to work Mm -hmm. on the Mac Pro and then the Apple Silicon Macs. So I just think it got to the point where the iMac Pro was just becoming... It's probably just a pain to continue manufacturing. Like they weren't going to do anything more with it. The 27-inch yeah. iMac was a perfect replacement, and they knew that they were coming out with stuff later on. They probably just wanted to shrink the line down a little bit, make it less confusing, and let them focus on the next iMac Pro. Yeah. No, you know what? I'm I'm on board. Sign me up for conspiracy right. train time. Love it. I think the next iMac, the M1X or whatever they decide to call it, will be branded as an iMac Pro. And Probably come in space gray because we all know you can't be pro if you don't have space gray. Yeah, exactly. Well, I will say though, I really desperately beg Apple if they do the iMac Pro, please let us have some colors. They'll they'll give you space blue, space green. <sighs> See, this, space this pink. is what I'm worried about. Right, I'm looking at the iPhones. Mm-hmm. The regular iPhone gets a lot of color, and then the the Pro iPhone gets a color. <laughs> i totally think that's it man i I think that's the one of the differentiating things because uh, look let's be real i think most pros probably are just gonna get silver or black or whatever throw it underneath they're not gonna really pay attention to it too much whereas with the more consumery products like the imac and the base iphones and stuff i feel like the color is a little bit more like that poppy apple old school design language 
I'm not going to be surprised if it comes in silver, space gray, and maybe one color. Other than that, maybe. Mm. But that being said, I am very excited for that system. We So basically, right now here at the office, I'm on the M1 MacBook Pro. I know there's a couple of MacBook Airs, the M1 MacBook Airs that people are using, but just for like sort of lighter tasks like Photoshop. All of our editing, short of my system, is all being done still on 15, 16-inch MacBook Pros, as well as the iMac Pros, based on who's using what, if they're at home, if they're bringing laptops, whatever the case is. We're very much in need of a full refresh. And I think as soon as we see these 14-inch MacBook Pros, the 16-inch MacBook Pros, the iMac Pros, all of the stuff with like whatever that M1X is, we're about to clean out almost all of our systems. So many people are going to do that. Like, Mm -hmm. because, you know, the, the, the M1 products have gotten such good press as well you know but what i'm hoping is that the the thing that excites me so much about this computer is this is the first proper true m1 mac right yeah like they they designed this computer knowing what the m1 was what it could do and they moved on from there i have very high hopes industrial design and very high expectations industrial design wise for them for the for all of the computers they release from now yeah, I want them all to wow me because look, the reason that I am so excited about this iMac, I feel like I have never seen a computer that looks like this. Yeah. And I feel like I didn't think that was still possible that a, a company would make a computer that looked radically different. Like I, I just figured all of this kind of work would occur in tablets and stuff now. Right. Right to like make something make something so thin they had to put the headphone jack on the side because otherwise the headphone jack would go all the way through the screen. What a great great anecdote! I think it's yeah. Marquez who pointed that out first. It's yeah. like so smart because it's like what a uh, headphone jack is typically like fifteen mils thick, and mm-hmm. the iMac itself is like eleven mil. Mm-hmm. But it's so many things, right? Like it's all USB C. There's no USB A because USB A probably wouldn't fit. They had to change. Mm, yeah. They changed and created their own magnetic power connector. Right. Wait, can we actually talk about that for a second? Yeah. Because this seems... Okay, look. There's a lot about this iMac I like. One of the things that, again, not like I'm going to sit here and complain, but an interesting choice to think worth talking about is the power cable situation in yeah. the Chen and how they've done that, right? So this entire computer is 11 millimeters thick, which is roughly the same thickness as I think like what, like the, the first iPhone or something? Yeah, it's as thick like, as the first iPhone, which is which mad. Is, <laughs> it's nuts. And really, you think about, if you look at it, the entire guts of the system are in the Chen, right? Yeah, so yeah. They, showed, they showed us the, an image in the keynote of like, this is what it looks like on the screen. And it's just all the computers in the Chen part. Yeah, and you really think like they're being held back and well, I guess you can say held back by the thickness of that display, right? The display is really the main thing. They stuffed everything below, but like the display is, I'm sure that pretty much full 11 millimeters of thickness. So Mm -hmm. they had to get a little creative with some of this stuff. I kind of get the Chen, you know, like I said, after spending some time with that, I don't hate it as much, but I kind of want like a D brand or I might just put an Apple sticker where the Apple logo is supposed to go, but that's just Mm -hmm. me. It's fine, Mm -hmm. whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, But as part of that, you know, USB-C on the back totally makes sense. But it's got an external power brick, which... (sighs) I don't don't know why people are getting upset about this. Who cares? How many things do you have under your desk? Too many? Right, so what does it matter? Like, to have one more, (laughs) just put it on there. What I I like about it is that they've made it useful. 
right? Like okay, this is yes, what I love yes. about their design, right? They knew they knew they had to put a power brick on it because they they wanted to get this thing super thin, which I have no problem about. Make my computer look good. Like I'll just I'll velcro this thing to the bottom of the desk. I don't care, right? Like I have so many pieces of junk under my desk, like all these little boxes and extension cables and all that. Like there is no such thing as a beautifully cable managed desk. They don't exist, right? It's it's a lie. I agree. And I so agree. I if you if you can make my computer look sexier. Right by taking the power like adapter out and put a power brick, fine. But give me a magnetic cable which is color coded to the machine, right? Yeah, and then put Ethernet in it so I don't have to have another cable going up the desk. I'm in. Like I think it's fantastic. Like this is what I like about their design. They made a trade off, but then gave you another benefit with that trade off. I have no mm-hmm. problem with that. No, I, I agree. I think having the Ethernet makes a lot of sense. I do think the magnetic power cable is maybe a little bit over-engineered. Like, how many times are you going to plug and unplug your cable from your Mac? But hey, whatever. Look, if it costs them the extra $5 to make that thing, but Austin, props to them, it's cool. If they say this cable is going to be attached with magnets, why not have it attached with magnets, man? Like, isn't that just nicer? It is. It totally is, right? I do think, though, okay, for, again... We kind of put like half a tinfoil hat on right now. Go for it. I'm into it. I think when you think uh, about like an iMac Pro, right? I don't think it's going to be this thin because you think, okay, so an iMac Pro is likely going to have more ports, right? Even if something like having a 10 gig Ethernet port, I bet you just like with the headphone jack, a Ethernet port, well, I mean, it's not even a question. I feel like it's pretty clear. They had to move it to the power adapter because it wouldn't fit on the system. I think Ethernet will be on the power adapter again. I think they'll think have so? more ports on the back of the bigger iMac. Like, they'll put more Thunderbolts. I don't think they're going to do USB-A. So I have another thing about USB-A. Like, mm-hmm. the reason it's not on this iMac, and I don't think it will be on any machine Apple makes now. Think of how long iMacs have looked like they currently do. Like, mm-hmm. this iMac design, it's like the next five to ten years of what an iMac's going to look like. And, like, yeah. so they put all this work in at first, they're designing these machines, and then they just change some of the internals. But the basic design of the body stays mostly unchanged. You would not put USB-A on a machine today that is brand new, that is going to, the design is going to last you for ten years. Yeah. They're not going to do that, like, because it's, it's ugly. Like, USB-A is only on the Mac Mini because the Mac Mini design was old. Yeah, no, right? I agree. I, I don't care about USB-A as much, especially as long as I've got USB-C. I'll just run it to a USB hub anyway, right? I don't yeah, find... Yeah, because you, never, you always had to have USB hubs anyway because there's never enough ports on these machines. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm going to be interested to see. I wouldn't be wildly shocked if the iMac Pro is a little bit thicker and maybe they either move more ports in potentially move the power adapter and i don't know what but i do think this system is so thin that when you go to something larger like an imac pro it seems likely that they're going to want to at least give it a little bit of extra thickness if anything just to give it that like you know pseudo xdr whatever they are going to call the display and whatever thickness they need for that i feel like they're going to have to go at least somewhat thicker and that might facilitate them bringing something like the Ethernet back into the system or whatever SD cards or whatnot they want to put in. If you're designing, if, you, if you're doing something as wild from an R&D perspective as having the Ethernet run through a power adapter, you don't do that for just one computer. 
Yeah, that is, as I was saying that, that was kind of in the back of my head of like, clearly this magnetic power adapter and Ethernet and stuff, they did do that. That cost for- a lot of time and money. To, yeah. to do that so like you know look, I, I just think they'll they'll have Tinker Givner it'll just be on the power adapter and they'll just put more ports on the back like there are these rumors which have been corroborated a lot now that they're putting like mm. SD cards on the laptops right so th- there will be more ports on the pro machines I'm convinced of it but they'll find a way to do it because apparently Ethernet's come into the laptop as well and that won't fit so it's going to have to be in the power adapter right because yeah, the rumor yeah. was MagSafe was coming back to the laptop anyway like I think Apple's being pretty clear here. Our power adapters are magnetic and things can go through it, right? Not just yeah. power. I think that I, I don't think that I think they're being very forward here. They're just not saying it. I don't think anyone had on their bingo card that MagSafe comes to the iMac first. No. <laughs> and again, like, uh, so I, I had some conversations with people at Apple and they were saying that they, it's rated to, you can't just pull it out. It doesn't just like pop off. Oh, really? Yeah, it's it's rated to what it would be if you were pulling an actual power cable out of an iMac. Wait, wait, so hang on. So are you talking about from the power perspective or like literally the physical force to remove that the physical magnetic force connector? of removing the magnet? Oh, interesting. Right. So it it isn't like MagSafe on a laptop. Like if you just bump that cable, it's not coming off. Okay. You have to yank it. Interesting. I mean, I guess it makes sense, right? The last it's, thing you well, want yeah. is exactly. He's like, you don't need MagSafe on a on, on an iMac. Like, what? You're not tripping over those cables. It's not the same kind of thing, you know. But to that point, though, it is interesting to think about this as MagSafe Plus for an iMac. Yeah. If they do really integrate a smaller, of course, version of a connector like this, whatever size and shape it is, but something that obviously would fit on a MacBook, you incorporate something like Ethernet into the dongle, or who knows, whatever you want to put inside, especially with. These newer, like, uh, what is it, gallium, whatever, nitrate, Gan. or whatever. Yeah. Gan. So I always remember it as GAN. <laughs> I can never remember what the acronym, uh, the acronym actually stands for. But like you, the fact that you've got these high wattage, very small chargers means that you could still have a power brick, which is roughly the same size as what we all use today, except that you have a little bit more space inside to incorporate things like Ethernet or whatever. Yeah. There's a lot of cool stuff here, right? I will say there's actually one other thing that I do think is worth talking about with the IMAX, and it's just the configurations, because I do think it's a little bit of a jump going from the base model up, because you actually lose a yep. lot on that base model on the IMAX. Don't forget, though. That old base model, Austin, that until like a few days ago when you could buy it, that shipped with a spinning hard drive. And no retina display. Yeah. So, yes, that base model maybe isn't uh, th- like you don't get the Ethernet power adapter with that one, right? You just get like a regular power adapter, even though you can add it for like 30 bucks or whatever. But that $1,300 iMac with a 256 gigabyte SSD, 8 gigabytes of RAM, and it only has two Thunderbolt ports. It doesn't have the extra two USB-C ports. I mean, it does. It, it on paper, it maybe doesn't seem like the greatest deal, but what it's replacing is vastly better than what it's replacing. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of the cutbacks are fairly reasonable, right? So it still has color matched everything. The storage is rough, though. Two fifty six is 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 as issue SSD is. It's pretty slim. Well, you say that. But when you upgrade to the 1499 model, it also has a 256 gig SSD, right? Yeah, You're, when you yeah. upgrade to that, it has the Touch ID keyboard, Ethernet, it has the extra two USB ports and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess it has technically the eight core GPU instead of the seven core GPU on the M1, which I am 
convinced is basically a non-existent upgrade because who cares? No one's going to notice the difference. I mean, it's just binning, right? It's the same as the, the laptops. Yeah, you're not going to notice the difference. I don't care how hard, unless you're timing your benchmark run and you notice the 10 seconds of what or whatever. But it is a little bit strange. That being said, though, I don't think the pricing is egregious on these iMacs. It's perfectly reasonable, especially considering that I'm sure for Apple, they've put all this money into the R&D, but you know they're saving it by not paying AMD for the GPU. They're not having to pay Intel yep. 300 bucks for the CPU. They're combining it into that same M1 that they've now got and everything from the iPad all the way up to the iMac. So, And I'm sure that's I'm one of the reasons that you get all of this incredible design and these, whether you like them or not, innovations for the same price. Mm-hmm. Right, because Apple's probably is able to get a better margin. So I just took a look to upgrade the SSD on the laptops from two fifty six to five twelve. It's two hundred dollars. Okay, a little pricey, but I guess reasonable. So essentially, oh wait, no, but uh, the thirteen hundred dollar and the fifteen hundred dollar models they don't get the SSD upgrade though. Right, you have to pay another two hundred dollars on top of that to get to yeah. seventeen hundred to get a five twelve gig SSD. Right. You would, put, I mean, they haven't got the configurator available for the IMAX, but mm-hmm. you can pay. So on the eight core one, so that fourteen ninety nine one, you could pay an extra two hundred dollars and get the five twelve, and that's what the next one up is anyway, right? So sixteen ninety nine yeah. for the five twelve. And then obviously, all of these systems ship with eight gigs of RAM unless you upgrade to sixteen, which is the M one Max right now. Yeah, which is probably another two hundred because that's what it costs on the laptops. Ooh. I mean. Yeah, look, I, I'm happy with the iMac. I I will say the I looks- think these are these are good deals. Personally, I mean, you know, like I'm very much in the have been a Mac user forever, so I only really have the Apple pricing in my mind. I think that that for what this computer is typically used for, I think this is a pretty good package for the price, especially with that power. Yeah, and one's yeah, powerful. I mean- we all talk about how like, oh, this is not for pros. This is not for pros. But we're both using 13-inch MacBook Pros, which are literally the exact same performance, et cetera, et cetera. And we're doing real pro work on them. Oh, man. This thing would be all I would need f- to do everything that I want to do. I'm just waiting because I'm just... <laughs> I just think what they're going to do with the next round of machines is going to be even more. So I'm just going to wait. I could buy this iMac, 24-inch iMac, and use it as my machine that I'm talking to you right now on, and I would be perfectly happy because I have done production and editing and everything on my laptop, and it's fantastic. So these machines, like we call them the entry level, but it ain't like that anymore. This, this entry level is a big step up over what it replaces. This episode of The Test Drivers is brought to you by The IntraZone. I love finding new podcasts. I know you do too. Why not go and check out one? It's got a great back catalog of fantastic stuff. It is a bi-weekly podcast with conversations and interviews on how you can use tools like OneDrive, Microsoft SharePoint, and more to really work for you and work for your business. You'll hear from great experts behind the scenes and out in the field so you can see how SharePoint could fit into your everyday work life to let you easily share and manage content, knowledge, and applications. Every episode features news and announcements, a focused topic of the week with guest perspectives and FAQs as well. And the topics for the shows are all really interesting. Previous episodes have covered APIs and teamwork and how they can work for you, the SharePoint framework, and even how to administer cloud applications and and files and stuff like that as well. 
Uh, I checked out an episode recently that went deep on how you can make Microsoft Teams work within your organization. And considering the new challenges that we all face today with remote working, it's a really great discussion to help you realize how Teams can help everyone stay on the same page while still being distributed. Go and check it out right now. Just search for The Intra Zone wherever you get your podcasts. That's I-N-T-R-A-Z-O-N-E. Or just click the link in the show notes and check it out today. Our thanks to The Intra Zone by Microsoft SharePoint for their support of this show and relay. FM. So there was a point in this presentation where I was like, oh my God, oh my God, they're doing it. I can't believe it. And it was when <laughs> they made reference to the fact that the M1 was coming to the iPad Pro. Look, man, I am happy about this on multiple fronts. Because if we just take a little step back, right, we call it the M1. But it's really, in any other year, would have been called the A14X, right? Correct. Like, this yeah. is always the class of SOC that they put in the high-end iPads and, I guess, sometimes, like, Apple TVs and whatnot. But generally speaking, they always make two versions of a chip. Or, I guess, almost always. Some years they skip it. But generally speaking, they make the A-series that goes into the iPhones and the low-end iPads. And they make the, it used to be the X, but now it's the M-series, which go into high-end iPads and now into the Macs. But it is crazy to me that you're getting the exact same chip, even with the same 8 and 16 gigs of RAM configuration. So this is, I mean, this is the same thing, just minus, obviously, the cooling. But, you know, it's obviously different. And it's wild that they are telling you how much RAM is in an iPad now, which is something Apple have never done before. Yeah, because I think it was, it was either the 2020 or the 2018, but I think it was the 2020. It was like when they released the one terabyte, it secretly had like two more gigs of RAM the or 2018 something. did, and then the 2020, they brought the same level of RAM across the whole line but the, ah. in the, for the 2018 ipad pro the one terabyte one had more ram in it and then in the 2020 ipads they all had that same amount of ram in them but it's so much power but it's crazy to me to think that something that is as thin and light and ultimately i mean you got to think about the cooling in an ipad there's no fan there, there. <laughs> yeah at least in like the macbook air which is fanless at least they've got like a pretty decent size like heat spreader and whatnot and you've got that huge aluminum chassis that can help to dissipate a lot of the heat when you look at the ipad i mean it's super thin there's not a lot of space but they've got that exact same chip in the ipad that they've got all the way up into the imac and i guarantee you it is going to be just as cool and fast and sure if you look at your geekbench scores you're probably going to lose a little bit but especially if you look at what they've done on that macbook air versus the fan, uh, the systems with fans it's a pretty minimal difference and you really only notice it when you're sitting there you know hammering the system with like a, a video render or something where you're really taxing it for long periods of time so props to them for not only bringing that chip to the iPad, not trying to give it some light version, but also calling it the M1, right? Because they could have easily mm -hmm. called it the X or anything. They're standardizing the, the line. I think from now on, every year we'll see a new A chip, which will be for iPhones and those low-end iPads. And we'll see a new M chip, which is for the high-end iPads and all the Macs. And then I guess maybe we'll see an X or whatever the next step up is for like the iMac Pros and whatnot. They've opened themselves up to a lot of questions, though. And in a way that they wouldn't have if they would have just called this the A14X. Mm. Well, they do, they, you put a Mac chip inside the iPad. Why? Yeah. <sighs> so That's the question. Uh, and, I'm and this yeah. is a question I'm going to be asking now every week for the next seven weeks. <laughs> because my expectation is at WWDC, they're going to show me something in iPadOS which, which warrants this amount of power. Yeah. I mean, so... 
the iPad, I mean, I guess realistically, even though, I mean, it's an exciting upgrade, and it's really the first meaningful big upgrade we've seen for the iPad Pro since that 2018 first came out. Because mm-hmm. really the 2020 mm-hmm. was more of a, a minor spec bump and they added a, an extra camera. But yeah. I, I agree. I, I think it's hard for us to look at this thing and go, look at all this extra power, look at this amazing display, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a second. Look, there's so much that's in this iPad Pro, but why? Yeah. Because surely... They're not just doing this because they feel like it. And I do think that there's a school of thought that sort of goes like, the iPad Pro is the Halo flagship product that Apple creates. This is where they do all of their testing. They, you know, just like a supercar, you know, they they test the new engine and they test the new transmission, the new suspension, all that kind of stuff in these super high ends. Well, all of this design, like the iMac's design, the iPhone's design, it comes from the iPad Pro, the 2018 iPad Pro. That's the first place they use that design language. So it makes sense that this is kind of like they're almost they're like prototype proving grounds where they they bring stuff to the iPad and then it trickles down to like you said the iPhone and the Mac. But that being said, this thing is especially in the 13-inch variety or the 12.9-inch variety, this thing is $1100 to start, right? They've put a lot in here. Mm-hmm. And I think with that, if they don't have more for us in iPad OS, it feels like such a waste to have this much yep. power, this much performance, this much screen, this much everything in such an amazingly thin tablet, and I'm using it to scroll through Twitter. That's mm-hmm. not cool. Here's my main reason for asking them to show me why is they didn't have to call it the M1. In mm-hmm. calling it the M1 is where they ask for this more than just what the raw power is because iPads, especially the iPad Pro, has always been more powerful in theory than it needs to be, right? For, yes. for the most use cases. Like the 2018, the 2020, they with the A12X and Z are incredibly powerful machines, right? Like laptop class power. So that was never a thing. Like p- making this thing more powerful than it needs to be kind of isn't it for me. It's that they chose to say this is the M1 when they could have just called it the A14X. Uh, they didn't have to put Thunderbolt on it, right? Like oh, all yeah, of this yeah. stuff. Like these are the decisions they tried to make by one putting the same chip in it and two saying it's the same chip. Publishing the RAM amounts. Why have you done that for the first time now? Right? Mm-hmm. Like because there have been different RAM amounts in these machines before. And Apple never told you. So like there's all these little things where I'm like, why have you done this? Because there have been times in the past where Apple has done this. So because the iPad Air 4 was released and it was way overpowered. Mm. Uh, and then a couple of months later at WWDC, we got split-screen multitasking for the first time. Then the 2018 iPad Pro, again, way overpowered. And then the next WWDC, we got iPad OS. Yep. So my expectation is this year you're going to give me something to show me what this is. Now, my dream of this, I don't know how they would do this. I don't know necessarily why they would do this. I want to be able to run Mac apps on my iPad because I can oh, run iPad yes. apps on my Mac, right? If, if I can run on an M1 machine, I can run iPad apps on my M1 Mac, right? So why can't I do the opposite? So I've heard some rumors I've seen some people poking around and speculating. I could believe, again, tinfoil hat time. I feel like that's all we're doing today. This is a big tinfoil episode. 
Yeah, yeah, but you know, it's speculation time, right? It's this is is this a fun episode of the podcast if we just recap word for word what Timmy Cook says? No, we got to think about the future, man. Exactly. You get the new thing, you immediately start thinking about the next thing. It's the cycle of life. I could believe that, especially considering how much sort of merging iPadOS and macOS have really seen over the last few years, but especially obviously since last year, when you know, so much is the same, the same literal chip is on board, all this kind of stuff, right? That imagine if you could run a macOS virtual machine, right? Now, I don't necessarily think mm-hmm. it would be straight up like you tap an app on the iPad and it fires at macOS and you just, that's it. I mean, that would be amazing. But imagine if there's like a secret virtual machine like in the background rendering or something where you can install from the App Store a Mac app and it launches in like a macOS light mode, right? Where like you open Final Cut or Logic or something, right? And you have everything you need. It might be a little bit restricted. You obviously wouldn't have full access to the system and whatnot. Mm-hmm. If it's running on the exact same hardware that the Macs are running, it seems possible, right? I mean, that's not, is that too much of a reach? Is that too much of a reach, Mike? I think they could do I that. I don't think so. I mean, to me, like, as you're saying, I'm like, yeah, that seems super logical, right? Let me run some kind of virtual machine where I can have these apps running and maybe they're not running at 100%. But for me, it would be like, I could get into Logic and open a project in Logic and make an edit no matter where I am with an 11-inch iPad. You know, like, you know, like that kind of idea is very exciting to me. Or, forget all of that, but they show me something about iPadOS. It's like expanding it in some way, making it more powerful, showing, like, I don't know, I can have more apps running simultaneously than before in some kind of new multitasking. It doesn't have to be let me run Mac apps. I mean, that's what I would love, but it doesn't have to be that. But I just want to see what did you, what are you doing with this system that warrants the marketing of the power, not just the power? That's the thing for me. It's like there is no reason why this couldn't have just been called the A14X chip. No one was expecting realistically that they were going to say they put an M1 in this, even though behind the scenes, people that pay attention, knows that the M1 is basically what an A14X would have been. I think it's Mm -hmm. a little bit different. I think they wouldn't have put Thunderbolt on it, for example, right? Like that wouldn't have been a consideration if it was just always going to be a pure iPad chip. But now they've done it for the Mac, so they'll just, why not? Yeah, you're right. It is a little different. I believe they also built in some stuff to make running uh, like Rosetta and whatnot and like the back compat stuff. There's certainly, it's not exactly what an A14X is, but you think about it, it's the same. But by and large, it's 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 fulfilling what that chip would have done, especially mm-hmm. now they've put it in the iPad Pro. Yeah. Uh, it also, I do think, is worth talking a little bit about that screen, which I know they spent a lot of time talking about on display, on stage. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm happy about it. I mean, as an 11-inch iPad boy, I'm not that excited about a mega pad. Yeah, it makes me sad, Austin. It makes me sad, because I'm, I'm very much using the 11-inch all the time now, right? And actually, we're going to talk about this in, in a future episode. We've been meaning to like cover because we spoke about what we're using in our home and we want to talk about what we're using for work. We have yeah. to do this soon, but things keep happening. Maybe <laughs> next time before Google I.O. and then WWDC kickoff, uh, we'll not be able to just get that episode out. But um, the this the screen technology seems super exciting, seems super interesting, but it does feel like one of those, I feel like I have to see this. Mm. 
because I've seen a, a Pro Display XDR, like a, I was able to go to a demo once of them, and it is beautiful. And if they're yeah. able to actually make it look like that, like, wow, that's going to be quite impressive. And it's really similar in a lot of ways to the Pro Display XDR as far as the specs, right? In fact, it's actually better in some ways. So on paper, basically, it looks better. <laughs> it's yeah, really weird. I don't, I don't know off the top of my head. So I know that the Pro Display XDR is not mini LED, but it is. It use, it's using a lot. It's basically as far as that like regular quote unquote mm-hmm. like LED tech would go. So for comparison with the last iPad Pro, which I think we could both agree has a phenomenally great display, and I. Never thought, oh man, I wish this was way better. But they've gone from 72 LEDs for the backlight to 10,000. Mm-hmm. That is ridiculous. There are many LED TVs that are coming out later this year, right? And a lot of them, even on, you know, obviously a much larger canvas, are going to have maybe like a couple thousand mini LEDs. Like this is a lot that is crammed in. And I believe it's like four LEDs per little like dimming zone. So you essentially have 2,000 little like local dimming zones. The 12.9 inch iPad Pro, it has, did you say 10,000 uh, of the LED, mini LEDs in it, which equates to 2,596 full array local dimming zones. And the Pro Display XDR has 576. Which already looks phenomenal. So you go mm-hmm. from 576 to over 2,000. Five times. Five times the amount. And especially considering how small the iPad display is, right? Which is going to mm-hmm. really give you that similar level of like contrast that a lot of OLEDs give. Obviously, OLEDs are always going to have an advantage because each pixel can turn on individually. So, I mean, essentially, uh, an OLED has 4 million uh, individual zones. But regardless, right? What you're getting here is something which is going to be, for the most part, very similar But what you get that OLEDs do not have is the brightness, right? A lot of OLED TVs specifically, right? For phones, you can get pretty bright. But as you scale, it becomes very difficult to get an OLED to really pump out brightness. A lot of uh, OLED TVs, even very expensive ones, like the ones that we have from like LG, only will often do maybe a couple hundred nits realistically. Uh, Sure, for certain bright segments, it'll get hot. But like if you have like a very bright like white screen or something, the brightness, it just can't sustain it. Whereas with something like the liquid, wait, wait, liquid, Retina XDR display for iPad. Is that that's it? Right? I think you. I think you got it. Okay, that will essentially match the same level of brightness of the Pro Display XDR. One thousand nits for the full panel and sixteen hundred nits for like local areas for the peak. Right, blindingly bright. Right, Burn not only just out. for when you're outside. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> right. And you think about this, it's so overkill for an iPad. Like, the current iPad screens are phenomenal. 120 hertz. I mean, they already get, like, what, five or 600 nits already? Like, I've never had a complaint with the current iPad Pro displays. But now, throw better contrast, the same refresh rate and all, all that kind of stuff, and now brightness that's, like, what, a 500 to 1,000 nits brighter? Are you kidding me? Yeah, and it's just not forgetting, this is iPad's high ref- uh, Apple's high refresh rate display. It's 120 yeah. hertz, right? Like I think we forget about that because the iPads had it for so long, and the iPhones don't. Uh, this, you know, the screen it really does seem incredible. Uh, again, but I echo you. It's like, is it just a flex? Like, <laughs> why are you doing this? <laughs> I mean, unless you know, like, if if this is just Apple's next screen technology, right? And that like within yeah. a couple of years, all of their devices that can't have OLED displays will just have this technology instead. And it makes sense, right? They've got to test this stuff out somewhere. They're always like rolling it out. Like, I'm sure we'll see over the next few years, mini LED hit, you know, the the Mac 
Who knows if maybe mm-hmm. these new MacBook Pros may have mini LED? I or- would assume so. I mean, if the if the 13-inch iPad has got it, you would expect they've found a way to do it for the, say, the 14-inch laptop. And I think that a display like this, obviously brightness is always nice, contrast is always nice, but really where this seems like it's super helpful is in the same kind of workflows as you'd use a Pro Display XDR for, right? You look mm-hmm. at like HDR video, you're looking at sort of photo editing, you're looking at stuff which really needs that brightness, but really needs that dynamic range. That's really the thing. Because current, I mean, like look, a lot of like smartphone displays, they'll get that bright, right? Which is helpful when you're outside, but I'm not doing super color accurate work on my iPhone as much, right? Like it's not something that really matters to me as much as when I'm sitting down and I'm color grading a video or something where I really want that, especially when you get into the HDR space where it's not just the brightness, you really need the contrast to show you the difference in that range. So it's cool, I like it, but, okay, look, I'm just gonna just play my cards right now. I'm not gonna upgrade to this thing, right? Right now, I am super happy. I did upgrade to the 2020 iPad Mm -hmm. Pro almost entirely just because we were doing a video on it and I just wanted to play around with it. And I had really been wanting a, an LTE iPad, which to be fair, these new iPads now have 5G, which is, is great. But I don't see anything here. The display is nice, but it's not something I need. The performance is nice, but it's certainly not something I need. And 5G is not something I really find myself jonesing for. I, I'm okay with my iPad Pro. I don't see a reason to upgrade to this unless they gave me something like a macOS VM and I'm running Final Cut on the iPad because that might change my tune a little bit. Before we go, let me tell you about another show here on Relay FM, Rocket. If you enjoy the test drivers, you're going to love it. Rocket covers all of the hard tech news of the week, but in a fun way. From the latest Apple news to scams to fake blood testing companies, Rocket is there and you can be too at relay.fm slash rocket or search for Rocket wherever you get your podcasts.